All right, there we go. All right, so this evening, Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2. We've been preaching a series of, um, of Christmas sermons on Wednesday evenings and Sunday evenings during this Christmas season. Also preaching a series on Christmas on Sunday mornings. Um, I bet you'd never know you could hear so many Christmas messages. Amen? Uh, so we've been looking at a whole lot of them, be looking at it from, from different angles. And, and my heart, my, my desire in preaching these is, is to put our mind on the true meaning of Christmas during this season. That, that it's so easy for us to uh, get caught up in the world, so easy for us to get caught up in all the things that's going on maybe in our family or, or just in life in general. And, and to forget the wonder of, of Christmas. Uh, so tonight we're going to be looking at two questions, two questions. Let's pray first. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for the truth that we find in it. Uh, may you be honored and glorified as we read your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Now no, here's your first question. Where art thou? Where art thou? In Matthew chapter 2 verse 2. <clears throat> Let's read verse 1 as well. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, here's your second question, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. I remember one year we were doing Advent as a family, and I remember um, this idea of these two questions uh, was really introduced to me. Um, the idea, what was the first question uh, that was asked by God in the Old Testament? And what was the first question that was asked by man in the New Testament? And in the Old Testament, the first question that was asked by God is what we just read. Where are you? And in the New Testament, uh, the, the first question was asked by the wise men. Where is he? So the Old Testament starts with, where is man? The New Testament starts with, where is God? And those are extremely important questions, and they relate to Christmas because Christmas really is all about God and man being reunited. God and man coming together. Christmas is about Emmanuel, isn't it? And most of us know that Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. So, so tonight we're going to consider those two questions. That'll be our outline. Those two questions. So let's consider the first question asked by God. Where are you? Where are you? Now Adam and Eve had been given this amazing gift. The gift of God's creation. By the way, could you imagine how beautiful that must have been? Could you imagine how beautiful it must have been to be in the Garden of Eden? To be living among absolute perfection. But regardless of how beautiful it was, we read the sad story in Genesis 3 that they rebelled against God. They sinned. Look at verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew not that they were and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. 
And so here, as they sin, the first thing we see is that their eyes are open. Open to what? Because their eyes were already open. They were seeing beautiful things, but now their eyes are open to ugly things. And now they're seeing sin. They knew that they were naked. And the idea here is they felt shame for that. You know, a person who doesn't understand sin has no shame over nakedness. Did you know that? A person who, ha- who doesn't understand sin has no shame over nakedness. If you've ever had a toddler, you understand that, right? Toddlers have no shame over nakedness. Why? Because they haven't come to that place where they really understand what sin is. Two-year-olds are perfectly comfortable in their birthday suits because they haven't come to the understanding of exactly what sin is. But Adam and Eve, when they understand what sin was, all of a sudden they became ashamed. Their minds were filled with things that they shouldn't be filled with and, and they started covering up. And, 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 and then the text says that, that they heard, verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and, Eve, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. So they heard God walking in the garden. Now understand, when God created Adam and Eve, He did not... Uh, confined them to the earth in the sense that he was separating himself from them. He still had this personal relationship with them. And they were familiar with the sound of God. They, they knew what it sounded like when God was coming. Now, I don't know if that's true in your house, but, but in my house, all I have to do is listen to a person's gate. All I have to do is listen to them as they walk through the house, and I can tell you exactly who it is. Amen? And you know that as well. So they hear, they hear, they know what the Lord sounds like. And, and what's beautiful here is you can see that it was very normal for God to come down to the garden and to walk with Adam and Eve and to fellowship with them. Now, the first question you and I would ask would be, well, well how does this work? And, you know, the Bible says that God's invisible. The God, Bible says that God doesn't have flesh and bones, that He's a spirit. Well, it goes back to what I said the other day when I was talking about Christophanes. Christophanies are pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ upon the earth. Uh, These are not God in His fullness, but these are God in manifestations. You see that a lot. I talked about it the other day in, in a message. How we saw that, how He appeared to Hagar. In Genesis chapter 16, how he appeared to Abraham in Genesis 17 and Genesis 18, how he appeared to Isaac in Genesis 26, how he appears to Jacob in Genesis 28, Genesis 32, and Genesis 35. And it really is amazing that once you get out of the book of the beginnings, you don't see it as often. But in the book of Genesis, you see it a lot. Where God comes down and is with his people in some presence, in some form. The point is this, Bethlehem was not the first time that God appeared in a human form. In fact, if you remember when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6, if you go to John's Gospel chapter 12 and verse 41, it tells us that it was Jesus on that throne that Isaiah saw. So in Isaiah 6, when, when, when he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up on his temple, and then his glory, the glory of his robe, it filled the temple. Uh, John said what Isaiah saw was Jesus. And so we have these pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus that people see before he ever was born in Bethlehem. Now Jesus spoke of a glory he had before the world was. 
Jesus is, is the eternal God, and the first time He visited this earth was not Christmas, folks. It was Christ who walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, in that garden. It was Jesus Himself. Now, in times past, when they heard Him coming, Adam and Eve, they would run to God. But not this time. They, they run from God. They hide. And then in verse 9, we, we have the question, where are you? Where are you at? Verse 10, look what they say. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So they said, well, we're hiding from you. That's what we're doing. We're afraid of you. Now, where did this fear come from? They had no reason to fear God. They'd never been afraid of God ever. It's very simple. The reason they were afraid of God is because they were now sinners. They were naked. They saw this. It wasn't that they were just physically naked. It's that they were spiritually naked now. That the robe of righteousness had now been ripped from them. That they stood before God as sinners. And so here you have God's second question in verse 11. Look at that. And He said, who told you you were naked? (laughs) Who told you? You know, Adam, think about it. Adam, he'd been naked. So why does he ask him this question, who told you you were naked? Because God wants Adam to do some soul searching. And you know who told him that? I mean, Eve didn't say, oh, Adam, you're naked. He'd been naked. The reality is Adam's heart told him that. Adam now felt dirty. Adam now had these awful thoughts going on in his mind. He felt shame, something he'd never felt. Shame. And Adam has what we all have. He has a sin nature. And it takes over immediately. Once sin enters into the human experience, we have this understanding of shame. Now, we don't see any repentance here, do we? What we see, we see blame. They blame the devil. Adam blames Eve, the woman you gave to me. But don't miss it. Not only does he blame Eve, he blames God because he said, the woman you gave me, Lord... Lord, why in the world did you give me her? This is the reason. You should have left me alone in this garden with all the animals and the plants. I'd have been a lot better. But then you see judgment. God says the ground's going to be cursed. Eve's going to have this terrible time during childbirth. Satan, he's going to be, he's going to be judged. Which, by the way, Genesis 3.15, look at, look at that. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There will be just a hatred there. And by the way, this is, I, I don't want to get into all this. We may do this in January. We're going to preach a, message, a series of messages on foundations. I don't want to get into all this right now. But um, when you think about, uh, there is an enmity between humanity and snakes. Now, I know you're going to tell me about somebody who loves snakes and pets them and, and, and gets all up on them and they're just like their dog and all. I know you know somebody like that, but I'm going to tell you, generally speaking, throughout this entire world, there is an enmity between people and snakes. There just is. And I don't care where you go in the world, you'll see it. There will always be exceptions of people who, who like this, you know. But the truth of the matter is there's a hatred there. There's a a fear there between these these animals and humanity. But look at the promise of the Christmas child in Genesis 3.15. A child's going to be born 
And he's going to crush the head of the tempter. Now, now, now what do we learn from that first question, where are you? Because there are some important things we learn about God here. And the first thing we learn about God is this, is God is a seeking Father. God asked this question first. Adam and Eve aren't running around saying, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, where are you? Are they? This is God. This is the initiator. He's the one who comes to us. And we need to remember that. The only reason we seek God is because God seeks us. God is the initiator. God is the one who comes to us. You know, you see the good shepherd coming to the garden looking for what? Looking for the lost sheep. But not only do we see God as a a seeking Father, we see that He desires grace rather than judgment. That There's no lightning bolts here. There's, There's no loud, thunderous voice. It's just a gentle voice. And it's calling out to Adam and Eve to come back. Did you know that the only way to flee the wrath of God is to flee to God? That's the only way. They're convinced that the only way to get away from the judgment of God is to run from Him. When the truth is, the only way to get away from the wrath of God is to turn and run to Him. It's the only way possible. And I see a longing in the heart of God here for reconciliation. This is a compassionate question. Where are you? There's no lecture. There's no condemnation. Just a simple question. Where are you? And so we see the heart of God here, that God is not willing that any perish, but that He is long-suffering. So the first thing we see is God is seeking. He's a seeking Father. But the second thing I want you to see is humanity is running. Humanity is running. You know, they, where were Adam and Eve? Well, they were in their sin and they liked it. You know, isn't it amazing that God gives us so much liberty in this world, but it isn't enough. We always want what God says we can't have. We always want to take that. We always want to climb the fence, you know. We always want to ignore the no trespassing signs. Wherever it is, God says, stay away from, that's where we want to go. And you know, and many of you know that I like the outdoors, I like to hunt. And it's funny with, with hunters, that's the way it is with hunters. Hunters, it seems, will always get as close to the property lot as they can. Where's the no trespassing sign there? Let's get as close to that as we can because we're certain that's where we're supposed to be. Uh, and there's all types of problems that happen when you get there because you're sure tempted when you see something on the other side. To shoot over there and drag it to your side, right? But it's in our sinful nature to want that which is off limits. We're hiding. Adam and Eve tried to make them some clothes to hide in. And they thought, you know what? We just won't show up when God shows up. Wherever God is, they thought, we'll just stay away from there. And I think we're like that too. We're like Adam and Eve who tried to hide their sin in clothes. We, we try to cover up our sin with good works. Excuses. They had all their excuses. Um, maybe even by denying that our actions are sinful. But then there's another part where we just say, you know what? We won't show up where God is. And I've seen that. There's a guilty distance with so many people when it comes to salvation and even when it comes to a Christian who has gotten out of the will of God. It's amazing because they'll say, you know what, if I I just stay away from God's house, 
I'll just stay away from, from God's people. I'll just stay away from where the Word of God is being preached and then I'll be okay. And how foolish that is. It was just as foolish as Adam and Eve who were trying to hide from God. We just won't show up where He is. It's a foolish thing, church. And oftentimes we do the same thing they did. And as well, sometimes we're clinging to earthly relationships. Adam and Eve said, you know what, maybe we're not with God, but at least we're not alone. We've got each other. You know, you can find company on this earth without God, can't you? You can find plenty of people who will be your friend. Plenty of people who will spend time with you. But I'll tell you this, in the next world, if you don't have God, you won't have anybody. Because without Christ, there is isolation. Without Christ, there is eternal isolation. And that's the irony of so many people who don't come to Christ because they're afraid they'll lose friends. They don't understand that if they don't come to Christ in eternity, they have no friends. They have no family. They have no joy that would come at all from any type of a relationship. Hell is full, but nobody's talking there. Nobody's hanging out. Nobody's on a lunch date. Hell is a lonely place. So God shouts out to a a lost world, where are you? And the truth is this, the world is in the same place Adam and Eve was in. That they're hiding in their sin. They're clinging to their earthly relationships. So God's first question to humanity is still as important as it was when He asked Adam and Eve, where are you? And we need to ask ourselves, where am I? Am I at peace with God? Am I safe in the arms of Jesus? Am I seated with Christ in heavenly places? Am I on the roll of the Lamb's book of life? Am am I on a journey through this world and toward heaven's gates? Am I in Christ or am I in trouble? There's the question. Because you're one of two, amen? You're in Christ or you're in trouble. Where are you? The very first and the very important question that God asked Adam and Eve is the same question that I should be asking myself and you should be asking yourself this Christmas. Where am I? And that moves us to our second question. Where, where is He? Where is He? Our most important question. I don't think it's a coincidence that, that wise men ask this question. Where is He born? that is king of the Jews. You think about these men, and and, and there's a lot of mystique that goes around these magi. These men were rich. These men were powerful. They were from the east, probably from the area of Babylon. Uh, They were Gentiles. God had spoken to them. God had given them a sign. They traveled at least 800 miles before there was any type of cars, engines, And they came looking for the Messiah. But nobody could tell them where He was. Now I think the truth is, not many were looking. But God led them straight to a home where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were. And they lavished gifts upon this family, upon this child. And and they worshipped the child. You know, I've said this before in a previous sermon, but you know, you think about what is the significance of, of these valuable gifts that, that they laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly there's, there's theological significance with, with the frankincense and the gold and the myrrh. There's, there's, there's symbolism there. I don't want to get into that tonight, but I want to tell you a real practical reason they did it. They did it because Mary and Joseph had to have money to live on. 
They're going to have to run and live in Egypt for a while because Herod's going to be trying to kill them. They need money. That's a very practical reason that they come and they bring these valuable gifts there. God is providing financially for Mary and Joseph who are going to have to live for some period of time running for their lives, unable to really work. I think that's an amazing thing that's often overlooked in the Christmas story. But one of the great proofs of His divinity is seen in their arrival as well, that that Christ receives worship. That when they come in here, the Bible says they worship Him. And they didn't worship Him for anything that He had done because He hadn't done anything. He was just a baby. They worshiped Him for who He was. He was Christ. He was God on earth. Now Moses would have never allowed them to worship Him. Abraham would have never allowed them to worship Him. David would have never allowed anybody to worship Him because to worship anyone other than God is idolatry. But this baby is God in the flesh. And to worship Him is right. So where is God? Where is God? Well, He's in that home. He's a baby. God became man. Why? God became man to die for humanity, to stand in our place as a representative of the human race and to take upon Himself the the punishment that all of humanity deserved. Just as we were made sinners by that first representative Adam, the Bible says there is a second Adam now, and all of us can be identified not in the first Adam, but in the second Adam by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We were made sinners by the first Adam. Now we are made righteous by the second Adam. You know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Bible says that Jesus is the very image of God. The song, the Christmas song, I love that line. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Isn't that beautiful? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. God veiled Himself so that humanity could look upon Him. Let me give you an example of this as a person who loves to be up before the sun is. Anybody else like that? And I don't even know that anymore. It's that I love to do that. It's just I'm up before the sun is. Amen? And I might as well get up because I'm not going to be able to go back to sleep. Well, one of the beautiful things about getting up before the sun does is you can watch the sun rise. Now, the sun is always brilliant, isn't it? It doesn't grow when it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. It's this beautiful ball of fire. It's never dim. But the beautiful thing about sunrise is at sunrise, you can look right into the sun and you can see all of its glory, can't you? You can just look at it. But as it rises, it gets more difficult to behold. By noon, you can't stare at the sun. I guess you could. Last thing you ever see would be that sun. Amen? If you stared for too long. Well, that's the way it was with Jesus. When He was born, He appeared as a baby. But He began to rise. Just as glorious as He'd always been. 
But he began to rise, and as he aged now, after he has died, after he has resurrected, and after he has been glorified, the sun has risen in its full strength, and now we could not behold to look at him in all of his glory. That's why on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples were so overcome, because there they saw a beautiful picture of what Christ truly looks like. If Christ had walked around in the same way that he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, people would have been scared to death of him because they could not even bear to look at Him. The Bible says, He shone like the sun shines in its strength. God became man so we could behold Him. So we can get a glimpse of the sunrise. So we can see Him in all of His glory and enjoy it. So God asked that question, you know, where are you? And His motive is what? Salvation. Where are you, Adam and Eve? I want to save you. And now the wise men ask this question, where is he and what's their motive? Well, it's worship. And motive is so important. In other words, why are we asking where is he? Because Herod asked, where is he? Amen. Why are we asking where is he? And I hope to God that we're asking where is he because we want to be forgiven. That we want to be forgiven. That Christ is for the sinner. Christ is for the guilty sinner. And we're saying, where is He? Because He is for the sinner and I'm a sinner. We're saying, where is He? Because there's a righteousness that we need. You know, when I was a kid, the worst thing you could ever get for Christmas was a box about this thick in the shape of a square. Because you know what it was. Oh, brother. Here comes some clothes. No little boy wants clothes, amen, unless it's got a cape with it. Right? That's about it. Mom is tickled to death when we get socks and underwear and undershirts and all those things. But, but as children, we don't really want clothes. But I tell you what, this is a robe I want. A robe of righteousness that Jesus offers. I hope that you're asking, where is He? Because you want forgiveness, because you want righteousness, because you want to worship Him, that you don't just want His benefits, but you want Him. Every single day, you want to worship Him. You see Christ as the most valuable thing, the most important thing in your entire life. So where is He? That's the question the sinner asks. We've heard that He's looking for us. We've we've heard that He's summoned us. We've heard that He's seeking to save Where is He? Now you and I don't hear the voice of God calling out from the garden any longer. We hear the voice of God calling out through the gospel now, don't we? That's where the voice of God is. And the voice of God through the gospel says to all the world, Where are you? And I hope when he says, where are you? You're making your way out of the trees. You're you're tearing off your fig leaves. You're getting rid of your excuses. And you're blaming no one but yourself. And you're saying, here I am, Lord. We've heard him call, where are you? We call back, where is he? And where is he? Let's think about that for a moment. Let's enjoy that that question for just a moment. Where is he? Let's walk through the gospel. Where is he? Well, he's in the manger. He's in that feeding trough. In a feeding trough because he's come here to feed those who hunger for righteousness. He's in a stable. Why? Because that's the fitting place for a lamb to be born. 
Where is he? Well, well, he's on the streets now. He's grown up. It's 30 years later. He's with the lepers. He's with the prostitutes. He's with the sinners. He's opening the eyes of the blind. He's raising the dead. Well, where is he? Well, now he's in the temple and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He's preaching the good news to the poor. He's setting those who are in bondage free. He's proclaiming that this is the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, where is he? Well, it's been a little longer and now he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's he's anticipating the cross. He's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He's committing himself, not as I will, but as you will, Father. Where is he? Well, now he's been arrested. Now he's on trial. Now the guiltless is taking our guilt upon himself. He's holding back the armies of heaven that desperately want to come and destroy humanity for what they're doing to the one they love. Where is he? Well, now he's been nailed to the cross. They've mocked him and they've beat him and they've tortured him and they've put nails in his hands and nails in his feet and a crown of thorns on his head and a spear in his side. He he suffers to breathe. He dies. They pierce him and blood and water flows out onto the ground. Where is He? Well, now He's dead. Now He's in a grave. His body lay there still and cold, wrapped in grave clothes. Where is He? Well, glory to God, it's been three days. Now He's alive. Amen? Now He's resurrected. Now He's risen. Pilate could not stop Him. The Romans could not guard Him. The grave couldn't hold Him. He's preaching to hundreds at a time. He's saying, look at my hands. Look at my side. It's the same one they killed. I've risen from the dead. Where is He? Well, it's been a little while longer now. Now He's in the heavens. Now He's at the right hand of the Father. Now His job is finished. Now He has a name given which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Where is He? That's where He is. Amen. That's where He is. And so here's a question for me and a question for you. Where am I? Where am I? Am am I in unbelief? Am I in my sin like Adam and Eve were so many years ago? Am Am I hiding? Am I clinging to my own works to save me? Am I clinging to earthly relationships to have some sort of joy? Or am I saying, Lord, where are You? Are you desiring forgiveness and fellowship with God? Because the only way you'll find it is to give Christ your life. And here's the real question. Is Christ in my life? Because that's where He should be. Amen? Where is He? He should be in my life. He should be everything to me. I should be living for His honor living for His glory. So two questions. One asked by God, where are you? And the other should be asked by man, by woman, by us. Lord, where is He? Because I need Him. Isn't that good? It's good to me, amen? 90% of the time, I'm just preaching to me, so it doesn't matter, y'all. Amen? I need it. Amen? I hope that will help you as you ponder this Christmas season.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for reminding us that even in the Garden of Eden, we see the Christmas story. Thank you that you have reminded us that to be wise means to seek after Christ. And thank you for reminding us this morning that you are a God who seeks to save the lost. And that's what we see at Christmas. Help us, Lord, to be ever grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.